everyone, and welcome to the Well Here STSA. So great to see so many people back after Thanksgiving. Everyone had a good Thanksgiving break? Everyone enjoyed Thanksgiving? All right, but we're pumped to be back, aren't we? We're pumped to be back because now Thanksgiving is done. That means it is time for the Christmas season upon us. And the hap, hap, happiest time of the year is here. What's the best thing about Christmas time? What do we love most about Christmas time? We love family. Yeah, I got something better than family. We love the Christmas music. Ah, Christmas is okay. We hear that all the time. Christmas food, Christmas presents. No, what's the best part of Christmas? Christmas jokes. Everyone knows that I start off every year, no matter what series I'm doing, in December I start off with some Christmas jokes, and I got some fresh ones for you. After four and a half hours of thorough research on Google, I got some fresh Christmas jokes for you. Ready? Here we go. Why didn't Santa sell Blitzen and Rudolph on Craigslist? Because they were too dear. How do you know? This is an easy one. This is a, a, a softball for you. Softball. How do you know when Santa's in the room? You can sense his presence. When Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph reported that he weighed 7.5 pounds. He was born at 7.5 pounds. How do they know how much he weighed? They had a weigh in the manger. They had a weigh in the... Away in the manger. Away in the manger. Do more. Come on. Stand strong. Why are cumin, cumin, not cumin, comet, Cupid, and Donna always wet? Because they are reindeer. Reindeer. And this one's actually my favorite. This one's not so much Christmas, but it is appropriate given who I am and the topic we're going to speak about. One Sunday. A pastor stood up to preach the sermon on Sunday in front of his congregation. And he said, dear friends, I have in my hand three sermons. He had three pieces of paper. Three sermons prepared. The first sermon is a $100 sermon in the last five minutes. The second sermon is a $50 sermon and it lasts 15 minutes. The third sermon is a $10 sermon and it lasts an hour. Now let's take up an offering and we'll see which one I deliver. Oh, that would not go well. I thought that was like a home run coming right there. Hit it, the offering. Y'all miserable people. Okay, we'll work on it for next year. We're starting a new series today called Irrational Generosity, which had nothing to do with any of those jokes, but I just like to have fun around here. We're starting a series on irrational generosity, and generosity, let me just clear up the misconception right off the bat. We're not talking about giving. We're talking about generosity. What's the difference between the two? Well, I say it this way. Giving is an act that we do. Generous is a person we become. Giving is an act that we do. It's a good act that we should do. The generous, which is our focus, is a person that we become. Very few people are born generous. Okay, especially the kind of generosity we're going to talk about today, a Christ-like kind of generosity. Is it possible to give and not be generous? Yeah, all the time. You give for tax purposes. You give because uh, someone guilted you into it. Okay, you give because you had an emotional reaction to a commercial on the TV. You give because you want to, somehow, you think that if you give, and you give to God, then God will give to you somehow. You want to kind of bribe or blackmail God. 
absolutely. We can be very giving without being generous. Let's flip the question. Is it possible to be generous and never write a big check? Absolutely. Some of the most generous people are rich, aren't have, you know, don't have big bank accounts, don't write big checks, but they are generous with their time, generous with their love. People who are generous with their homes. Around here, okay, the way we grew up, people are generous with their food, right? Back when we did the Merit Series, the Into the Wild Series, a couple series back, I talked about the one thing, the one thing for married people, the one thing that will lead to your marital success more than anything else, the one thing that married people who are happily married have one thing in common more than anything else, and that is that they are generous with their explanation for one another. They're generous in what they choose to believe about the other person when they don't understand. So it's not that he is, you know, it's not that, that he is uh, uh, impatient, He's just really focused. It's not that, that she's rude and insensitive. It's just that she's very, very honest. It's not that my husband is fat and hairy. It's just that he wants me to have a backup comforter in case we ever lose us. You can be generous without being necessarily a big giver. And that's what we want to talk about here. Because that, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, is our calling as sons and daughters of the Most High King is to be generous in every one of our dealings and all of our relationships. We don't hear much about the topic of generosity, do we? Very rare does someone come and say, hey, I went to get this, I got a great book about generosity. Or like there's a sermon on generosity. I want everyone to hear this. Or we should talk more about general, we, it's very rare for us to talk about generosity. But that doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, before we get to the spiritual side, science, Research tells us more and more the benefits of being a generous person. A lady named Lisa Firestone, who's a psychologist and an author, wrote the following. She said, generosity, the willingness to give things that have value, is often defined as an act of selflessness. However, studies are now showing that generosity is actually selfishly in your best interest. Practicing generosity is a mental health principle, and it could be the very key to a happy and healthy life. Not Christian, not, not coming from the Bible. Year after year, more and more studies are highlighting the benefits of generosity in both our physical and mental health. Not only does generosity reduce stress, support one's physical health, enhance one's sense of purpose, and naturally fight depression, it is also shown to increase one's lifespan. She goes on to speak about in her book, which is written right there, Conquer Your Critical Inner Voice. She goes on to speak about how generosity is a natural self-confidence builder. It is a natural repellent of self-hatred and guilt and shame and all those bad things. You know why? Because it's evidence for you that you're not as bad as sometimes you think you are. It's evidence. But when, you're, when your brain is telling you, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you have evidence in front of you that says, you know what? I'm actually not that bad. I should do good things. And what generosity does, as she writes about in this book, is it turns one's orientation outward. So instead of just focusing on what's wrong in my life, where I'm lacking, where I'm deficient, it turns my attention out to the world outside me. And you start to realize, you know what? My life isn't as bad as I thought. My problems aren't the only problems in the whole wide world. All comes from generosity. This isn't a surprise to us. The scriptures told us this many, many times. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. Look what King Solomon, the wisest, 
said. He said, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. Scatters, giving stuff away, but yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more and than is right, but it leads to poverty. You see that? You're drawing the contrast. There's one who's giving stuff away, and he turns around, and there's more stuff there. And then there's somebody who's holding on to everything, and then he turns around, and there's nothing there. And then he makes it real clear right there. And this is a good memory verse if you want to find a verse to, to, to memorize about this topic. A generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will also be watered himself. Let's read that one together, because that's a good one to stick in our heads. Read it together. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. Some of you thinking to yourself, oh Lord, I came to all. Oh Lord, I came on the giving. We are probably going to turn down the lights, bring up the, the violin and pass around the plate and show pictures. No, this has nothing to do, like I said, this has nothing to do. No one is going to ask you at any point in time in this series to give a thing. No one is going to try to guilt you or ask anything from you. As I oftentimes say, Christianity, especially when our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ and his commands, was not about what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. And there's never more truth than in this particular example right here about generosity. Earlier today, for those who were here during the Divine Liturgy, you read the Gospel reading about the rich young ruler from Mark chapter 10, also appears in Matthew chapter 21, where, where Jesus found a rich young man who said, Jesus, I want to be great. I want to have great things. And Jesus said, okay, you want to be great? Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the man was like, well, I don't want to sell what I have. Why are you asking me for so much, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you know what, man? You missed it here. Because it wasn't that Jesus was asking so much from the young man. Jesus was offering so much to the young man. The man kept hearing, sell what you have, sell what you have, but he didn't hear, treasure in heaven, treasure in heaven. And I don't want us to make that same mistake. Here. God doesn't need anything from you. Jesus didn't need the money from that rich young man. And he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your pathetic little prayer. He doesn't need your sorry, tired, lazy church attendance. And he certainly doesn't need your I need a tax write off check at the end of the year. He doesn't need any of that stuff from us. None of this is about anything that Jesus needs from us, but everything about what Jesus wants for us. What Jesus wants for us is a life like his. Because he showed us what life is supposed to look like. If you want to summarize the, ver the life of Christ in one verse, especially during Christmas time, I'm going to bring this verse right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Epitomizes, exemplifies, shows us exactly who is Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. Christmas is all about the generosity of God. The irrational generosity, and I'll tell you why in a little bit, we're going to use the word irrational. It's one of our core values here, irrational generosity. Christmas is all about not just the generosity of God, but the irrational generosity. That God looked at this world, and God the Father loved the world so much that he gave. And he gave his only begotten son, the most precious thing to him in the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And if we want to walk in his footsteps, we must learn to be generous givers, irrational givers, the same way he was. I remember when, when, when our kids were young, okay, and all parents, probably y'all experienced this thing. This was new to me. I'd never done the whole kids' birthday party thing like Marianne did, all that kind of stuff. I hated kids' birthday parties. I just felt they were germ fests. And just, it didn't want to be part of it. 
But Marianne was very, you know, as Marianne does, she's she's very kind of all that stuff. And at the end of the birthday party, moms, you'll probably get this one. What do you do at the end of the birthday party? So you get all these presents from your kids, you know, three-year-old friends. And then the kid just wants to play with them. But what does the mom want to do? Mom doesn't want just the kid to just start playing with them. The mom wants to orderly, gift by gift, write down who got what. Right? And I was like, Marianne, like, what's the big deal? Like, who cares? Like, we're not going to send, like, thank you cards like a wedding. Okay? The dumb little whatever. Moms, why do you have to write down the gift list of who got you what? Y'all can say it. It's not embarrassing. We're all thinking the exact same thing. Because the gift that you're going to get their kid has to match. Like, you not have someone bring you, like, some sorry tie little shoots and ladders, $10 shoots and ladders, that you know is buy one, get one free, and they had a coupon. And you're not going to give them, like, a train set because of that. Like, you know, shoots and ladders, okay, like, you're going to get them, like, you know, something rinky-dink. You want the thing to match. And then the opposite. If someone gets you something nice, you can't go something cheap with them. There has to be reciprocity. Lawyers like that, right? There has to be reciprocity. During this season, we thank God for his irrational generosity with us. Maybe we need to examine our own generosity with others. In this series, we're going to do three weeks. Today plus two more. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at examples of people, real-life people from different eras. Okay, we're going to start today from the biblical time, and we're going to move our way forward through history. We're going to see people who have exemplified irrational generosity. People who have given. Not rich people. Not rich people. Generous people. And in fact, none of them are going to be rich. Actually, you're going to see that the most irrational, generous givers are people who have the least to, 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 to the least funds to deal with. And we're going to see people who gave not out of richness, but out of poverty. Not at their means, but above and beyond their means. We're going to see, I'll tell you this right up front, I'm going to make the case that our irrational generosity will have the greatest impact on the world today. More than our preaching, more than our praying, more than our Bible reading, all those things are super duper good. But what is going to impact this world more than anything else is going to be our willingness to be godlike, to, to show God's irrational generosity by our irrational generosity and the impact we can have on the world. The first people we're going to look at today from the biblical times is actually the people that St. Paul was speaking to in this chapter. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a lot, okay, but it's good stuff. I'm going to read the passage, 2 Corinthians 8, from verse 1 to 7, Then we're going to go back and look at certain verses. So let's read the whole thing through, because I like to get kind of the broad overview, and then we'll go back and break it down, that it concludes with this verse. We're going to go back here, starting in verse 1. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And by the way, now he is talking financial. Okay, these poor people gave out of their poverty gave financially. But they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he would complete among you this act of grace. As you excel in everything, Faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. 
What should stick out to you? The word that St. Paul used three times in those seven verses, and he's going to use again later on in this passage. To refer to giving is the word grace. This grace of God. It says it right there. This act of grace. And this act of grace, he says it twice. What does grace mean? Grace means what? What's the common definition of grace? Grace means an undeserved gift. It means something that I have received that I didn't deserve. Like somebody gave me out of nowhere, you know, a new car. Grace, okay, it's a grace. Okay, that's why we say we say grace over the food. Because the food is not like, it's a, we thanking God for it. St. Paul says there's this grace, this undeserved gift. What's the undeserved gift? Not the financial gift received, but the financial gift given. He's not talking about the people who received the money, received grace. He's talking about the people who gave the money, received this act of grace. Good old background to the story right St. Paul is writing to a group of people in Corinth. Corinth would be like Greece, where Greece is today. And he is telling them that y'all are prospering, and like it's great that y'all moved away from the homeland. They were all, okay, originally the church was born out of Jerusalem. Okay, but Jerusalem had seen some difficult times, especially after Christ and the Roman Empire, and it got eventually got destroyed and all that stuff. So people were leaving. People were leaving. Kind of like, okay, many of us, our parents immigrated to this country, from a place back home, and they left to have a better life for us, right? And what, what St. Paul would always tell them as he would go around and travel, would say, it's great that God is prospering you, but remember the saints in Jerusalem. He would always say that. Never forget the church in Jerusalem. Never forget your fathers and your sisters and your brothers and your uncles and your aunts. Never forget them, the spiritual family. Always remember them. And especially what had happened, okay, by this time, Jerusalem was hit with a famine. A severe famine. So Paul went around all the churches and sent letters by several of, of, of people and messengers saying, help. Took up a collection. There's a great need back home. Please help and send money. The church in Corinth responded by saying, you got it. We're all in. We're going to prepare something very, 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 very nice. And the problem is they pledged it. They didn't give it. Why didn't they give it? For the same reason that we all it's very easy to pledge. I want to help. You see the commercial. I want. It was very easy to say, I'm in. But then all of a sudden, you know, bills kind of add up. Christmas is upon us. The market is down. You know, busy, whatever it may be. And they didn't pay. St. Paul comes to them and reminds them. Not by guilting them, but by inspiring them about what they're missing out on by not following through on their promise. And he does something really, really kind of nice. Okay, if you notice right here. If you notice right here, he starts off by saying, we want you to know about the grace of God, that we're grace again, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's telling them there's another church in Macedonia that offered this gift out of their poverty, and they're really, really, really great. Understand the context. Macedonia was a northern province. So here you have Corinth, here you have Macedonia, both, like I said, where Greece would be today. Thessalonica. Okay, the Thessalonians... That's Macedonia. So what he's doing is, he's saying to these people in Corinth, y'all promised a gift that you didn't offer, and that's okay, I understand. But let me tell you how great these Macedonians are. Because they did something really, really great. They offered out of their poverty. Macedonia and Corinth were kind of like Boston and New York. 
kind of rivals, Chicago and Detroit. But it's sad for me to say this week, Washington and Dallas. Sadly to report this week. So what St. Paul is saying is like, no, I understand that you guys can't give, but let me tell you how great the Macedonians are. The Macedonians are really, 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 really great. So they're just like, oh, you're a Macedonian, fresh Macedonians. Okay, you know what I mean? They use a little friendly rivalry right here. Right? And he actually, we see later on, actually does the same thing to them. He tells the Macedonians, oh, the Corinthians, they're very generous. They're very, very, you got to be like them. Okay, it's a little friendly rivalry. We all have a little competitive spirit inside of us right here. And he tells them in this passage two reasons why you should, why you should be generous. Two reasons. Not anything I want from you, not guilt. Let me inspire you, not guilt you, inspire you to giving. Two reasons. And the first one that he says right here, first one that he teaches us, that when it comes to generosity, the joy received always exceeds the price paid. Joy received always exceeds the price paid. Anybody who studied economics back in college, y'all remember this whole idea of everything has a cost. Opportunity cost, financial, everything has a cost. There's a cost to sleeping under a roof. There's a cost to eating food. There's a cost to looking professional at work. Everything has a cost. If I have a $20 bill in my hand, I can choose to, that $20, I can, you know, take my wife out for a fancy night on the town to pull it, okay? Or I can use that same 20 bucks to, you know, buy a book, okay? But I can't do both. That $20, you're going to use this, we're going to use this. When you get a bonus at work, you can use that bonus to go away on vacation or to help your sister who needs help financially. You can't do both. Everything has a cost. When I was younger, okay, um, you want to know kind of the roots of my frugality. That's a nice way of saying it. The roots of my frugality. I'll tell you the key to, to fixing all your... If you spend too much, you do exactly what I just about. I'll tell you. When I was in high school, my mom used to pack my lunch, but I would buy chocolate milk from the cafeteria. Chocolate milk was 10 cents back in the day, okay? And I would give two. Every day, two chocolate milks. So every day, 20 cents. That's all the money I spent in the whole life. So any day, if someone was like, hey, let's go to a movie. Okay, how much does the movie cost? Eight bucks at the time. I'm like, 10 cents a milk. Two milks a day, that's 20 cents. That's a dollar a week. You're talking about eight weeks worth of chocolate milks? For an hour and a half of entertainment? No way. Give me the milks. You put life in terms of chocolate milks? Okay, and this is how you become who I am today. But the point is, everything has a cost. Okay, whatever that cost may be, everything has a cost. Having more joy in your life has a cost. You want more joy? I want more joy. There's a cost. Everything has a cost. To eat has a cost. To date has a cost. To live has a cost. To have joy has a cost. And the cost of joy equals generosity. Which is the opposite of what the world tells us. What the world says, if you want generosity, the cost is grab more, grab more, grab more, grab more. Scriptures say, no, you want joy, give more, give more, give more. You choose which one you're going to believe. Let's go back to our friends, the Corinthians here. Let's break this down. Let's go back to verse 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, and that word grace, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. Key word here, key phrase is abundance of joy. The expression, the picture being painted is, this is overflowing, over the top, can't contain myself, 
won the lottery kind of joy. Not like, eh, not like tell the neighbor, like tell the world how happy and joyful they are. And the root of that joy is coming from their generosity. It sounds like the kind of joy that I want, especially around the holidays. He says the joy was connected to the overflow of generosity. With the next verse. But they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and in fact, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Sometimes we read the scripture so quickly we don't pay attention to what it says. Here you have a group of poor people. And in the verse before he said, extreme affliction, severe poverty. The picture he's painting is people who are not, not, not sitting on the beach, sipping on the, the champagne. People who are at the corner of the street, like with a cup in their hand, begging for money. That's the picture that is the, the strong language he uses about their financial state. Yet they are doing what with St. Paul? They are doing what? What does it say they are doing? They are begging, begging us earnestly to give. Begging us earnestly to give. Rational generosity. I remember when we used to go on the mission trips to Africa. Okay? Anyone who's been on mission trips to any, any third world country, y'all know this to be true. And we know this to be true. Is that the people who have the least are the most generous. They are. I remember we would go and we would go to someone's house, a tiny little house. When I say house, closet, think closet. Okay? It's a closet, it's the size of like this square right here. And there's a family of six living in that closet. And then we come. And they bring uh, the chairs, and they're not even chairs, they're just like rocks, is that we can sit on them. And then they bring out Coke, bottled Coke. And we're like, we, we, flat, we, we blow our nose with this, like, then we flush this stuff down the toilet. To them, that's like a month's salary right there, one bottle of Coke. They offer us meat, and we're like, we don't want the meat. Like, it smells funny, like, everything's funny in this. For them, that's the meat they're gonna eat for the rest of the year. Like, they eat meat once every three months. I remember one time we showed up into this church and we were like on the bus. We're tired and we're glad we rolled out. And they had a party for us. And at the front of the party, they offered us a goat. And I'm like, y'all can keep the goat. <laughs> we're not know what we're going to do with this goat. We're, we're scared of the goat. Like the goat's going to attack us in the middle of the night. And the goat has tremendous value to you. has no value to us. And then there, in our mind, the goat costs you too much. And in their mind, the goat offering gives us so much joy. You see, we're like, it costs too much, it costs too much, and they're like, oh, we want the joy. It makes us so happy, and you can see the happiness on their face. And I'm telling you, I truly believe this. That, that discrepancy about us saying it costs too much, and them saying, but it gives us so much joy, that says more about us than about them. I promise you, there are more people in the world who live that way than this way. We are the ones who are the irrational ones in their eyes. We're the ones who are illogical. Who are like, they, in their mind, they're like, you think you're going to be more happy by just getting more stuff for yourself? You was born yesterday? You tried that, didn't you? Like, haven't you been living that way your whole life? Don't you see people in Hollywood who are trying that stuff? Like, you, you, you really, you, that's what you think? That's irrational. Because you and I both know that the times of greatest joy in our life is the times we are the least miserly, the most generous. You know, miser. Sounds a lot like miserable. 
believe that's true. They were begging us earnestly. Imagine what that would look like. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church where people, I'm thinking I'm a priest, people coming to me, begging me, please, Father Anthony, take more, take more money. Can you take more, begging? It's an incredible thought, huh? No, I see it all the time. I thought of four examples. It took me less than 10 seconds to think of these four examples. I know one example of a person who, as we speak right now, y'all know I just uh, uh, I finished a book, okay, and, and said I want to do an audio book. I know a person who is begging me, begging me to pay for the production of the audio book. And I'm like, no, I'm not paying for it. He's begging me, and I have to fight him. I have to go behind his back and tell the production company, don't take any money from it. Begging me. I have another person. We found out that we are not going to be able to use the sound system here at George Mason, so we have to spend money to buy our own sound system. And someone came to me and said, Father Anthony, I'd like to sponsor it. And I was like, I really appreciate that, but like, it's, it's, gonna, it's a lot of money. Like, you're probably thinking like $1,000, $2,000. We're talking more like $8,000, $9,000, Next week, I had to check the exact amount that I said. Begging me. And I'm like, no, it's too much. And he's like, that's the amount I want to give. When this church first started, a person who was not a member of the church, who was not a member, begged me to take a check of not one, not two, not three, not four, five digits. I'm like, you know, you're not a member of this church. Give to your own church. He said, I want to give to this church. And the last one that I wrote right here is there is a couple who's not from here, who's far away, but close friends, who is literally begging me for the last two years, begging me to take any amount of money to do anything to improve the production here of the well. Because they benefit so much from it. And they're like, if you need a new camera, we'll buy Like, we want to give. And again, we're talking about five digits begging me. And I'm like, we, we broke a wire, you know, that's like 1999. Can you? And they're begging anything that we can do to give. I thought about those five, those four people. None of them live in mansions. None of them drive Porsches. None of them eat caviar for breakfast. Do you know what all of them have in common? They're filled with joy. None of them are rich. None of them stand out. None of them, every single one, stands out in terms of the smile on their face and the smile in their heart. Why? Because joy, the joy received always exceeds Christ's pain. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, meaning paid the price, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Practically speaking, a couple weeks ago I gave a sermon about tithing. I, I say tithing. What do you think? You think cost or joy? You hear but I got to give up. Or you hear, but I get to receive. Not just taking on money. A friend needs to spend time. A friend of yours needs you to spend some time with them, to listen, to, to be there for them, to help them move, to give them a ride to the airport. What do you hear? Cost? What it's going to cost me? Or joy? What it's going to give me? Your spouse. Your spouse. I said earlier, be generous in your marriage. Your spouse or your friend or whatever made a mistake. Now it's time for you to be generous in how you explain that, how you deal with that. You think, but they, or you think, the joy I can receive by being generous, especially if you're a married person, especially if you're a married man, you need that come back, okay? That forgiveness to come back at you. Which do you hear when it comes to those? We oftentimes excuse our generosity because of our circumstances. We say, I can't because, I can't because. I can't afford because. I don't have time because. And I'm telling you, if you are lacking joy, 
that I'm telling you, you can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to give excuses. You can't afford to not be generous with your time, with your ear, with your heart, with your home. You can't not afford. You want more joy in your home and your family during this time. First thing, joy received always exceeds the price paid. Second benefit that St. Paul says about giving, about generosity, I'm sorry, is that the impact of the gift isn't limited by the amount of the gift. The impact of the gift isn't limited by the amount of the gift. Meaning what? Meaning we always think in terms of big. What do I have to offer? I'm sorry. We think in terms of what can I do? What can I do? What can little me do? And God doesn't want us to think in terms of what can I do. He wants us to think in terms of what do I have? Not what can I do, but what do I have? Once upon a time, there was this little old lady, a widow who only had two pennies in her pocket. And Jesus said that the only people who put the big checks, she put the two pennies. She was the biggest of them all. She had the biggest impact in Jesus' eyes. Because the gift, the impact of the gift is limited by the amount. Once upon a time, there was a group of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. And they were looking to feed them. And one little boy offered five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And some there wouldn't even feed hungry me on a Sunday afternoon. Somehow, this little boy only offers a very, very little bit. He was generous with that. And this guy saved the day. He was a hero of epic proportions. Once upon a time, there's a guy named Barnabas. We read a lot about St. Paul. St. Paul the Great. Once upon a time, there's a guy named Barnabas. When St. Paul was just becoming a Christian, he had converted from, from being a Christian persecutor. And he was the worst of the worst of the worst persecuting Christianity. But all of a sudden, he had a change of heart. Nobody believed in him. And Barnabas says, I'm going to be generous with this sword. And I'll take him under my wing. And I'll stand in front of him and I'll say, he's with me. And Barnabas was very generous in the way he dealt with St. Paul. And look at the impact of St. Paul today. Our problem is we think in terms of what can I do. God wants us to think in terms of what do I have. I'll give you another joke right here since the first one's miserable. This is this one's more is a joke, but it's maybe it, maybe it's an honest story. Once upon a time, there was a kid in Sunday school, and they had just had a presentation about a mission. A missionary came and gave a presentation about whatever mission work he was doing, and then the teacher, these kids, let's say like four or five years old, something like that, and the teacher stood up and said, "Who would like to help this missionary and give them a million dollars?" The kids were like, "Yeah, give him a million dollars." And then, okay, who would like to help these missionaries and give them a thousand dollars? Yeah, give them a thousand dollars. Yay! Who would like to help these missionaries and give them one dollar? Two kids put their hands down. The teacher said, "Why you put your hands down? You want to give a million? You want to give a thousand? You want to give one?" What the kid said, "Cause I have a dollar in my pocket." It's easy to say if I won the lottery, I'd give it to the church. Easy to say I'd help the homeless if I, if I, if I got this promotion. You know what? God cares more about the dollar that you have in your pocket than the million that you don't have. He cares more about the dollar that you do have than the million that you promise him that you're never going to see. Because it's not about the size. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart generosity. Jesus never wrote us a check. Jesus never gave us a penny. 
But Jesus let go of everything for us. When he died on the cross, arms open, that's what generosity is all about. It's not just financial. It's not the amount, but it is the heart of generosity. Let's continue our passage right here. We're going to fast forward now to the end of the passage, starting in verse 10. Still speaking about the same. This passage, by the way, about giving. For those who say we don't want to hear about giving in church, the scripture talks more about giving than any other subject. This is a two-chapter discussion, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, all about this one topic of the giving. Because in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, talking about giving. When he's saying, like, y'all offered, but you didn't follow through. I'm telling you, it's your benefit to follow through. This benefits you, who a year ago started, not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well. You wanted to offer it, you promised to offer it, finish the job and actually do it. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. That's a nice verse to apply to a lot of areas of life. That you're desiring it, your readiness and desiring it in any area of life. Your readiness and desiring to, you know, uh, 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 start serving. Readiness and desiring to stop gossiping. Your readiness and desiring to be a better son, be a better spouse, be a better whatever. That that readiness and desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. But if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Boy with sandwich. Can you have enough sandwich for 5,000? No, but I got five pieces of bread. Focus on what you have. Widow with two mites. Can you offer a dollar? No, I only got two pennies. Focus on what you have. Barnabas, can you uh, write half the New Testament? No, but focus on what you have. I can be nice to this guy and encourage him. Focus on what you have. Don't focus on what you lack. You can't cure cancer today. But you can go spend time with a kid who's sick and give him a Christmas present. You can't fix your marriage overnight. But you can go home and be generous with your ear, and less generous with your mouth, more generous with your heart. And forgiveness. You can't convert your pagan, miserable co-worker friend you can't convert him. But you can buy a book, put it on his desk and say, Merry Christmas. And I know a good book that I can recommend. Just joke, just joke. Run. Don't focus on what you lack. Focus on what you have. Don't focus on what you lack. Focus on what you have. Be generous and let God do the work. We're going to skip ahead to the next chapter. This, this subject goes on. He spends two whole chapters. We're going to fast forward to chapter 9 right now. After St. Paul does his famous passage in chapter 9 about God loves a cheerful giver and about how God said, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Then he says this, okay? Certain verses that we don't often read. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, your gift, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What's the harvest of your righteousness? What's the impact? He's talking about you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It's through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I love this verse. Parents, y'all get this. You will be blessed the more you bless others. So wait a minute. The more I give, the more I receive. Yes, you know why? Because if I have two children and I give them each a dollar and I say, go off and, and spend the day in the, in the amusement park. Oh, yeah, listen, maybe two or five dollars, okay? 
as they go spend the day in the amusement park, it's five dollars to tide you over. And if one of them says, "Okay, you know what? My sister doesn't have. How can I share with her? That one's gonna get more." And if the other one says, "No, you're hungry. Things for you, because this is mine." Then that one's not gonna get as much. It's very simple. The one who is open-handed, it will be receiving much more. This is logic that God blesses in order for us to bless others. Next verse. Verse 12 shows us the true impact. True impact that you can have by your generosity. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Pause. Not only supplying the needs of the saints, meaning not only earthly, not just to give them food, not just to give them clothes and shelter. That's what I'm asking you to do. But I'm asking you, kind of follow up from today's sermon, to see beyond. To see what's really happening, the real impact. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession to the gospel of Christ and also the generosity of your contribution to them for all the others. What is he saying? He is saying, you are offering temporal. They are receiving spiritual. You are offering food and drink. But they are receiving spirit and life. You are offering things that go away. But they are receiving things that last forever. Because by your generosity, by your generosity, people will say, I don't know who these people are, but whoever they worship, I want to worship their God. I want to be part of whatever family they're part of. And if you've never seen this, you're missing out in life. Because I've seen this. I've seen this firsthand many, many times. I'm trying to think of examples. Too many examples to think of. I have seen examples of people change their view of God based on your generosity. People change their view of an eternal God, an eternal life, People change their understanding of who God is based on the way that you and me interact with them. And there's nothing greater than the whole wide world. Remember earlier I was saying that everything has a cost, everything has a price. Well, you know what? There's a price to have a great impact in this world. And that price is to be generous. But I'm telling you, the price is nothing compared to the impact. This is first again. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and all the others. Next verse, verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know what it says right there where they long for you and pray for you? You know what that says? They long for you and pray for you? That means that the day STSA decides, you know what, we're done with Arlington. We want to move to, you know, uh, Alexandria or D.C. or Reston or whatever, which is never going to happen. But let's say we do. The council, the city council of Arlington should come to me and say, no, please don't go. We protest. There should be protest outside saying, please don't go. Your generosity, we don't, as I said a couple weeks ago, we don't understand what you believe. We question what you believe, but we embrace you for your generosity. That's who the church should be. 
We should be, it's okay, they question what we believe, but we should be embraced for our generosity. People say, no, please don't go. And the people outside, not just in the church way, in a you, in a me kind of a way. The people in your office should say, you know what? I don't really get his beliefs. He believes some weird things. Man, oh man, I'm glad he's in the cubicle next to me. Because there's not a kinder, nicer, more generous person in this office. There should be people who are out there saying, you know what? This group who gathers on Sunday, okay, they do weird stuff. Listen to this guy who's dressed really funny looking. But you know what? I'm glad my daughter married one of them. Because I see the way they treat her. I'm glad my daughter married one of them. I'm glad that they're my next door neighbors. I'm glad I live next to them. I don't get them. They're confusing to me. They're illogical. They're irrational. They're just so nice. They're just so generous. They're just so uncondemning, so unjudging. And anytime there's a need, they jump in. I don't get them. I don't want to be like them. That's what irrational generosity is all about. And the impact, if you've never seen it, believe me, the impact that we can have on this world, I'm telling you, there are a lot of people who preach. There are a lot of people who serve. And there are a lot of people who pray. And there are a lot of people who read the Bible. All those things are great. I'm not saying those are bad. Those are great. But I promise you, I promise you, I believe with all my heart, the greatest impact that we will have on the world will be our generosity. Because that is what's going to change people's view of our God. It's the way we are generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our hearts, generous with our homes, generous with our lives, Generous when someone needs help moving. Generous when somebody needs a ride to the airport. Generous when we see a car get stuck in the snow. The way we are generous with one another. The way we, as Jesus said, you will see, they will, you will, they'll see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. That's what it's all about to me. That's why I come back to our core value on which this series is built. Irrational generosity. We in this church believe we are foolish people. We actually believe that it is more genuinely, we genuinely believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed, the more joy and greater impact. We seek opportunities to express our love to God by sacrificing our time and our money. The joy and the impact of generosity has nothing to do with the size of your wallet, and everything to do with the size of your heart. Christmas time is all about God's irrational generosity for us and about how he was willing to be poor so that we could be rich. How he didn't count the cost, he didn't count the pennies, but he gave himself fully. We are going to see in this series, and hopefully we'll be able to, to practice it as well. We're going to examine ourselves. We're going to say, in light of his generosity, am I a generous person? Am I generous with my time? Am I generous... With my, with my help? Am I generous financially? And I'm not going to just stop and say, am I generous? You know what? If I really want to take this seriously, I'm going to turn to the person next to me and say, do you think I'm generous? It's very easy to classify yourself as a generous person. But I want to take this seriously because I want more joy and I want to have a greater impact. The key for us we be our generosity. Let's stand together and say it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for your irrational generosity for us. How you counted nothing dear, even your own life. Gave yourself for us, Lord, fully and completely. We, Lord, submit ourselves fully and completely to you as well. Whatever direction you lead us, Lord, 
will never be the miserable people holding on to things in this world. You held on to nothing for us, Lord. We want to let go of everything for you. Give us hearts of generosity. Give us hearts that are open with love, with our time, with our money. Give us hearts, Lord, that don't count pennies. But Lord, instead, we look for impact. And we look for joy coming from above. Pray these things in the name of our Lord and our God and our Savior and our King Christ Jesus. The prayers of all of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.